Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, May 25th, and today I'm joined by Puck's senior political correspondent, Tara Palmieri. She has the scoop on the most buzzed about political consultant in the Republican Party, Jeff Rowe, the man who helped elect Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, and how he could be in the mix to run Donald Trump's presidential campaign in 2024. We'll hear about all that, plus some breaking news on a Democrat looking at the 2024 race if Joe Biden doesn't run, all on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy hump day, everybody. I'm joined on the pod today by Tara Palmieri, our senior-ish, the most senior political correspondent we have in D.C. (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. Sorry, in New York. Yeah, in New York. Okay, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I think you do a really good job of like balancing the fact that you live in New York, but also like get the inside scoop on what's happening in D.C. Appreciate that. It does take a bunch of trips to D.C. every month, but I think at the end of the day, it's good to be able to leave and sort of take a breather, get some distance from it all, and uh, put it in perspective. And also, if you ride the Acela all the time, you get to overhear like guys named Brian talk about their slide decks and like their TPS reports on their like conference calls as they go from like Philadelphia to Wilmington and whatnot. <laughs> right. Sometimes you even get to, you pay extra and you get into first class. You can hear some really juicy stuff. That's true. Uh, you wrote a piece, uh, Tara, about a guy named Jeff Rowe. Uh, that's up on Puck right now. And Jeff, I think a lot of people might know him because he managed Ted Cruz's campaign in 2016, sort of known for being pretty sophisticated about like data and targeting, one of like the early adopters of, of that sort of kind of politics on the Republican side. Roe uses something called psychographic targeting, relying on publicly available information on voters. We have 17 different scripts at the door on the phones and different mail pieces for each voter segment. He managed Glenn Youngkin's victory in Virginia. He's had his hand in a bunch of Senate primaries this year. And it's your understanding that he's sort of has this flirtation with Donald Trump going on right now where he might tap him for 2024 if he decides to run. Where, Like, what's the deal with that? Well, it's actually interesting. So it was a uh, Kellyanne Conway little scoop I didn't get in there that had brought Jeff Rowe in back into the mix with Trump because he was not really a Trump guy at all. And so this is like a new flirtation that started since I would say the fall. And it's when he started trying to manage clients that could use endorsements like Josh Mandel in Ohio, who didn't end up getting the endorsement from Trump, but could have used it. Honestly, it probably would have tipped him over the line and said Trump went with J.D. Vance, who ended up winning. You know, when you're in this game, in not, not every state do you need a Trump endorsement. Some states you don't want it. And in the case of Glenn Youngkin, he didn't need the Trump endorsement. In fact, it was better for him in Virginia to keep him at bay. Glenn Youngkin has won the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. I'm totally honored. And it's reflective of the fact that we've received a lot of endorsements. And those endorsements reflect the Republican Party coming together around an outsider. But Jeff's an operator. It's good to have Trump in your pocket in some ways. That's great. And if it's not, you know, you don't use them. But yeah, they've been talking for a while. And the the problem is right now, like Trump's got a lot of people around him, but they're people that are ultimately associated with his losing campaign, right? In 2020. So he's looking for fresh blood himself. 
And Jeff is, he's seen, I think pulling off the Glenn Youngkin win was a big deal. And people gave him a lot of credit for that. He became the IT general consultant for a minute. And he still is in some ways. I mean, he did have that loss with Josh Mandel, but he fought really hard until the end with Josh. And where a lot of other consultants might back down, I would say, after not getting the Trump endorsement, he really has fought hard with his candidates. And that's the case of David McCormick, who may or may not win in Pennsylvania, but he didn't get the Trump endorsement. Jeff is a part of the campaign. And while Trump is saying, you know, Oz should just declare that he won, Jeff is saying the same thing about his own client. And they're kind of speaking the same language. People close to Trump say, oh, Jeff's sucking up to Trump to try to run his campaign. That may be, but... If Trump runs for president, it is going to be the only presidential campaign to run, right? The only way Trump like loses the Republican primary against someone is if someone runs just like a near perfect turn the page campaign and it's a head to head with Trump. Like if there's a bunch of other people like splitting up the vote, like Trump is going to be the guy. When I was reading your piece, something jumped out at me, though, which is that Jeff worked for David McCormick. He worked for Josh Mandel. He worked for Youngkin, who kind of kept Trump at arm's length. But Like, normally that might, like, piss Trump off, but you have this line in your piece that says, some in Trump's inner circle say that Roe causes too much trouble for Trump by fighting until the bitter end with clients who aren't bestowed with Trump's endorsement, but he may actually ultimately win Trump over with his bravado. If you're against him and you beat him, then he thinks of you as a winner, the source said of Trump's general selection criteria. So, like, it sounds like he just, even though he's been on the opposite sides of a lot of primary fights as Donald Trump, and, and... Jeff doesn't come out of like MAGA world. Like he's been in, he came out of like Missouri politics. He's been around for a very long time. Um, You know, he's not like this, like necessarily like a CPAC culture warrior, but it sounds like Trump like has developed some respect for him. Yeah, I think he has. He's kind of, I think both flattering Trump for his power, but also testing it. And I think Trump at the end of the day, as an alpha male appreciates when other alpha men kind of test the limits of his power. He has so many people around him who are just sucking up to him all day long. But ultimately, you know, taking on these candidates and running hard campaigns against people who are endorsed by him is is actually kind of a bold move in this environment because everyone is so terrified of, of alienating Trump, especially people who are so close to him and who basically sell their service saying, if you hire me, you can get a Trump endorsement. You know, uh-huh. some aren't that explicit. Some's more like wink nod. Some are that explicit. And so- To kind of try to weave that is something that I think Jeff Rowe has done that probably better than most. Now, the problem with Trump is like in a few weeks, months from now, I could tell you they are mortal enemies. They hate each other. (laughs) They'll never. But I was just, I was like, it was kind of funny. And and actually John Kelly noticed it first was when Rowe put out the tweet saying, he basically echoed Trump, but about Oz winning and said McCormick had won and he called it a DC mating call. And I was like, yeah, they're speaking each other's love language. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about it that way. But Trump, I think you have to earn his respect. You have to be seen as someone who can win. And I think any candidate is going to feel that way. The awkward part about it all is that Jeff Rowe ran Ted Cruz's campaign, like you mentioned. Yeah. And he's like very close with Ted Cruz still. And as much as he's a, a Cruz loyalist, you almost get the sense that Cruz is a loyalist to him as well. And Ted Cruz lost a lot of people in his inner circle after January 6th that could have potentially run his campaign. People in Cruz world feel like even though he lost, that Jeff ran a good campaign. Oh, yeah. So 
there is a feeling like it's his to take if he wants to run Cruz's campaign again. And I don't know if Cruz has said it publicly, but most of these candidates, these 2024 GOP candidates have said they won't run if Trump runs. And mm-hmm. I, I was told that's the case with Cruz, whether he said it publicly or not. He's not going to run against Trump. Can I say one more thing? I missed this story when you wrote it um, for Politico, but DeSantis, like I know he's kind of a maniac, but I didn't know he'd like burned through so many staffers. Like, oh my God, yeah. Tell me about that. So I guess like I sort of caught wind of it when I heard that these DeSantis staffers were meeting in Arlington to just like kind of bond over their (laughs) shared trauma of working for him. I mean, he was just like a nightmare apparently. And like even the fact that that woman was fired who had cancer. And I think the thing that a lot of people feel is that he just doesn't really respect the staff, like everyone's Mm. kind of staff. And he's not very warm. He's very prickly. It's funny for a guy who puts, who plays as like a, you know, man of the people, he does come off as elitist when you're face to face with him. He doesn't like to glad hand or have conversations or just do the kind of politicking that they say some of the best politicians like to do. He sort of like does the speech and runs out. It's also his wife, Casey, is like his main political consultant. He doesn't have a lot of people who have been with him since he was a, a congressman. Like, in fact, the turnover was really high in his office then. I mean, it's weird because DeSantis is at Mar-a-Lago a lot. And I kind of alluded to this. There's a moment when DeSantis isn't going to really be welcome there anymore for fundraising. Hmm. Trump definitely sees him as a, a threat. They're frenemies. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. I've been told they're way past that where like DeSantis yeah. could not throw a fundraiser at um, Mar-a-Lago, but he's still there a lot. I mean, a lot of his donors are there. Palm Beach is like yeah. just the spot and Mar-a-Lago is the mecca of GOP fundraising activity. All right, well, everyone, for everyone listening, you've got an early taste of a lot of names that you're going to need to know over the next two years as we sit around and wait to see if Donald Trump decides to run for president. At this point, it seems impossible to believe he's not. Oh, actually, a little bit of news I had in my newsletter, too, is that Phil Murphy of New Jersey has been having dinners with donors. He's sort of shaking the trees a little bit to see if Biden doesn't run. You and I are both breaking news here about Phil Murphy. I have picked up the same thing. He's been reaching out to some people that I know and sort of talking politics. And you don't really do that after you've been reelected for your second term as governor, like you're talking to national folks without putting your name out there just in case Biden decides not to run. Exactly. We should do a whole other podcast on Phil Murphy, though. I mean, like, I know people think like, oh, boring New Jersey white dude. I think he's kind of got a really interesting profile for Democrats. But we'll save that for another pot. Well, as a Jersey girl, I'd love to, you know, yeah. to, ch- to chat Jersey. Let's do it. All right, Tara, thank you so much. See you soon. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Tina Wynn on her beat right now. So, Interesting story about Jeff Rowe and all of the things that he's been doing lately. By backing McCormick in Pennsylvania, aka the thing that used to be my favorite race, he inadvertently set himself up against Donald Trump trying to flex all over the Republican Party, being like, oh man, I've got all the power in the Republican Party. That means I am the kingmaker and I can determine who does and does not get to win these primaries. The problem is in that like these primaries, he has a terrible track record for people in competitive races. Like he'll say that the bulk of his endorsements were in races that had obvious winners going into them. So I don't think that particularly counts. And maybe they would have been effective earlier when 
like, I don't know, last September or October when people were thinking about going in and he could go, all right, that's the guy. And then everyone cleared the field. But right now in competitive primaries, he's not doing so hot. Like Pennsylvania, Oz is leading by 977 votes. There is going to be a recount. It is at the time of this recording, 0.008% of a lead against David McCormick. And McCormick has just filed this lawsuit demanding that certain ballots be counted. Trump is having a big conniption over it, but a lot of his MAGA allies who are a bit more in tune with the movement believe that he should not have endorsed Oz in the first place because that's what kind of turned the hardcore MAGA base off from supporting Oz and allowed them to swing towards a more MAGA candidate like Kathy Barnett, QAnon lady, weird background. She's not gonna win, but her rise definitely stunted Oz. In other races, oh boy, those are interesting. He backed David Perdue in Georgia for the governor's race against Brian Kemp, Republican who also had the horrible sin of saying that his elections were secure in 2020. Because of that, Trump decided to go on this massive campaign trying to get him out of office. However, David Perdue, who was a Georgia senator, is like 20 points behind Kemp. Like, it's as if the guy didn't even try. He just thought he was going to get the Trump endorsement and then coast to victory. So with all of these higher profile races about to collapse on Trump's head, my question, and the thing I'm exploring this week, is whether Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is able to start making a claim that he is actually the true standard bearer of MAGA. One, he's, you know, governor of Florida, which means he doesn't have to get involved in all these internecine state races. And he's been so monomaniacally focused on creating a culture war environment in the state of Florida and getting reelected. Today, uh, I am signing HB 395, which will officially designate November 7th as Victims of Communism Day. I've reported extensively in the past on the fact that the DeSantis team does not feel comfortable even making any sort of pretenses towards a future run unless he gets reelected. But if I'm just DeSantis sitting in Tallahassee watching all the returns come in, I can't imagine not being unhappy that Trump's track record is starting to collapse on him. My piece I wrote last week, which John Kelly brilliantly titled, Trump Forgot How to Spell MAGA, laid out this argument that perhaps Trump is like losing touch with the movement that he spawned and that maybe Trump wasn't really that MAGA-y to begin with, but he just knew what was getting applause lines at parties and had a good instinct for elevating them. Now, the thing is, even though he has that instinct, does that mean he can actually set the agenda, lead people, articulate a vision for the future that is not given to him by activists and extremists whispering in his ear or people who are saying these things on Fox News or Newsmax? That's unclear. And given his current track record, I have no idea if he can do that. But if DeSantis stays in his very narrow lane, proves himself to be the best OP culture warrior that ever existed post-Trump, he could feasibly articulate a vision for this more extreme populist wing of the party and say, look, Trump did a good thing between 2016 and 2020, but he's out of touch, he's old, it's time for me to step in. There's so much more to this story. 
It will be up by the time that this episode comes out. And uh, go check it out at puck.news. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.